Welcome back to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. Today's episode is actually with a returning guest, Dr. Al Dannenberg. And I'll make sure I put the first episode in the show notes for you guys because it is definitely worth a listen to hear his amazing story of recovery from what he was told was a terminal cancer, that it was definitely going to kill him within three to six months. And now he is thriving, he is helping other people, and he just is an absolute wealth of knowledge. So in this podcast, we talk about Dr. Danenberg's story of healing with a carnivore diet, with a high-fat carnivore diet, and now how he believes metabolic flexibility and gut microbiome diversity actually contribute to a really healthy immune system. Now, I am going to put in the show notes a gut microbiome test that I personally have used to test my own gut microbiome diversity. It is very affordable. It is with one of my sponsors, Ombre Labs. So if you're curious about your gut microbiome diversity, that's a good place to start. We also dive into how to care for your teeth. Because well, the first time I talked to Dr. Dannenberg, I was using a charcoal toothpaste, which a lot of us think this is a healthy thing. But he explained to me about a year ago not to do that. And so we did do a nice little deep dive into how to care for your mouth. I put a lot of resources as well as tons of timestamps down in the information for you guys. Everything we talked about, including the toothpaste he recommends, dental floss, tongue cleaner, all the things. I tried to put that down in the information section below for you guys. So this episode is just absolutely packed full of resources. I would love it if you would please share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. There is so much that I want to share with you guys. And if you have a chance, head on over to Apple or Spotify now. Leave me up to a five-star review. It will help to get this information out to more people, which I do believe with the rising rates of metabolic disease, with cancer in this country, it is just vital that more and more people hear these types of stories, these types of messages, so they can take their health back into their own hands. That is why I even created this podcast in the first place. So I appreciate all of you guys for being here. As always, you can take a screenshot, tag me, tag Dr. Dannenberg over on Instagram. We would love to hear if you're enjoying this episode. Speaking of which, this episode is going to be brought to you by my two sponsors. The first one is going to be Optimal Carnivore. You can use my code carnivore uppercase Y to save 10% on their desiccated organ supplements, which Dr. Dannenberg and I actually dive into desiccated organ supplements quite a bit in this episode and the importance of them if you are not eating organ meats. So if you're looking for a great source, Optimal Carnivore is the one that I use, I recommend. Again, my code is carnivore uppercase Y to save 10% and I will put the link down in the show notes for you guys. The second sponsor is Upgraded Formulas. You know, I love their hair tissue mineral analysis for helping you to dial in your minerals. A lot of us and Dr. Dannenberg and I talk extensively in this episode about the importance of mineral balance, how a lot of us are taking things like zinc and throwing off our copper balance. How the heck do you even know that that's an issue for you? A hair tissue mineral analysis. And I recommend upgraded formulas, hair tissue mineral analysis. My code there is yogi12 or yogi if you've used that yogi12 code before. And you can save on anything on their website. I always recommend getting a consultation with that hair tissue mineral analysis. All right, guys, enjoy today's show. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk with you again soon.
All right, guys, thank you so much for coming back and tuning into the channel. I'm very excited about today's guest. He's actually a repeat guest. Um, he was on my YouTube channel a little over a year ago. So I'll make sure I link that in the description for you guys to get a little more in depth on his story. But Dr. Al Dannenberg has an amazing story of healing and he's with us. He coaches people and I just can't wait for you guys to, to hear about him, his story and what he has to offer. So thank you, Dr. Dannenberg for being here today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love this stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just briefly, you know, I'll link the full interview of your story because it's just so amazing. And I got so much great feedback on it the last time you were here. Um, but if you would just briefly talk about your story of healing and how you got to do the work that you're doing now with people. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm almost 75 years old. So the big story here, I don't, I don't want to bore everybody, but let me give you kind of the, 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 the pertinent points of what's going on. So six years or so um, before all this happened that I'll mention, I thought I was really pretty healthy, eating a paleo diet, eating, living a paleo lifestyle. I was writing, I was lecturing, and I was really considering myself the senior poster boy for a healthy lifestyle. So in April of 2018, I was asked to speak at a meeting in Austin, Texas, where the paleo, uh, paleo FX meeting, I was there. But along the way, the traveling caused, I didn't know if it caused it or not, but I noticed that I had pain in my right shoulder, which I never get. And it was exacerbated because I was carrying my bag on my right shoulder. I, I never went away. I did my, my little speech at the, the Paleo FX meeting, got back home to Charleston, South Carolina. The pain started to move from my shoulder to my, to my back, eventually to my chest. And being as pigheaded as I am, I did not see my doc, my medical doctor, until September 2018, when it was just getting so difficult, where I took a deep breath and it was painful. So he looked at me, he took some extra, um, um, some blood work. The blood work came back relatively normal, except my uh, inflammatory marker, which was C-reactive protein, was significantly higher. And then he requested to do a, an MRI. We did the MRI and all this is September, 2018. And I, um, um, he called me and I, and I talked to him on the phone about the results. He was kidding around at first when he said, you know, it looked like uh, you got in a fight or fell down some steps. And of course I didn't do any of that. And then he got very serious and he said, I think you have lymphoma, leukemia or multiple myeloma. Well, my world mm. just fell apart. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm the senior lifestyle poster boy, senior poster boy for a healthy lifestyle. How could I have cancer? All three of these are cancers. I'm, I'm eating and living so healthy for the last six years. Well, of course, if I have cancer, it didn't start six years ago. It started decades ago. I just didn't know it, didn't manifest. Funny how he refers to me to an oncologist, many, many more tests, PET scans, all kinds of things. Turns out that I have an incurable bone marrow cancer called IgA kappa light chain multiple myeloma. My oncologist who saw me on September, 2018, um, gives me a prognosis, three to six months to live. Wow, I mean, my whole world, you know, the whole door, the door just shuts and my whole world just stops. But I have a realization and that is the only thing that matters to me is quality of life. My wife, my two adult kids and I are in the oncology office. My oncologist 
office and we get this report and uh, he wants me to start chemo the next day. And I said, well, why would I do that if I only have three to six months to live? And he said, <clears throat> excuse me. And he said, well, if you're on chemo, you'll go into remission, you'll be better. And then, and, and then we can extend that. And I said, well, what happens when I am on chemo? He said, well, you're quality of life is going to go down, but it's going to get much better after you're in remission. And then I said, well, well then what happens? This is, as you said, incurable. He said, well, chemo is not going to work well as time goes by. And then you're going to need new chemo, more cost of chemo. I was not, I can't, I was not a candidate for stem cells. And then, well, then what happens, I asked. And he said, basically, you're going to die eventually from the complications of multiple myeloma. This is a terrible scenario, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking all along, I'm just devastated and debilitated as the years go by with these up and down swings from chemo remission and not in remission. I'm thinking, let's not even do this. And let me figure out if there are other methods that might help me. I do... Uh, I did accept some radiation treatment on my chest only because I couldn't breathe deeply because of the, the fractures. I have multiple pathological fractures, several broken ribs, two vertebral compression fractures, a cracked pelvis. I mean, I was a mess. So, mm -hmm. so what I did was to create what I call now my 10 unconventional cancer protocols. Did a lot of research, figured out some things that made sense to me. Like I said, I rejected chemo. And I did extremely well for another year. So August or so of 2019, one year later, and I'm seeing my oncologist every month, um, all of a sudden I'm in my bathroom, brushing and flossing my teeth, knowing that I have fragile bones, but I didn't realize what that really meant. And I twist to the left to throw my dental floss away. And when I do that, my right femur snaps in half. I crash to the floor. I break two more ribs and my right humerus also breaks in half. Oh All this gosh. instantly. Obviously I'm in pain. My wife, my wife is in the other room. I'm screaming for her. She obviously comes to the room. Eventually we get emergency services to take me to the hospital. And I know that I've already outlived my prognosis by six to nine months. And I'm ready to die and I want to die. Anybody that I know that has just fractured their hip in my age category does very poorly and dies shortly after. So at least many of them. And I'm just ready to die because I can't imagine getting fixed. I have all these broken bones on my right side. I get to the hospital, they fix my right femur because I, I, they don't want me to bleed out because the femoral artery is going to uh, be perforated. They take care of that. They don't care, take care of my arm or my ribs. And they literally put me in a hospice hospital to die. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Instantly, something happens and there is a hurricane coming to Charleston one week later after I get into hospice. And the hurricane is going to hit Char in Charleston in the area of the hospital. The hospital is ordered to evacuate all their patients. And they don't know where to send me. My wife's an RN. She gets a hospital bed and they, they send me home still under hospice. So my wife gives me some tough love and said, look, you are a survivor, not a victim. Let me get 
a physical therapist in here and let's see if we can turn this around. And amazingly, we do. And mm -hmm. within a month, I am out of bed. I had a catheter for over 30 days. It's out now. And I'm actually walking with a walker and I reject or re, um, revoke a hospice. And I see my oncologist the next month in October and he's surprised I'm alive. So fast forward in May of 2020, I have a PET scan and the PET scan shows no active cancer. Um, wow. I am on immunotherapy at the time, uh, which is not chemotherapy, which obviously helps. But my unconventional cancer protocols, without a doubt, supported my immune system, which is the critical element to all of this. Absolutely. With all that knowledge, I realized I need to share this information with people. And I was doing some coaching regarding um, diet and whatever that I had created, but now I was creating a more robust coaching program to help people understand how to recreate their robust immune system. And it has to do with lifestyle changes. Certainly the gut microbiome is critical and, and the integrity of the gut and a diet that supports all the nutrients that we need that also avoids any anti-nutrients that are damaging the gut, creating systemic infl inflammation that feeds into cancer and all chronic disease. So that's where I am today. And I'm doing quite nicely. I'm so glad to hear that. And I remember last time that we talked, our conversation was really pretty diet focused. I feel like, cause you were, you had pretty much switched um, during that time. I think you were in hospice to like a paleolithic ketogenic diet. Is that correct? Where you're doing like a high fat carnivore diet pretty much? Well, at first I was, yeah. When I was diagnosed in 2018, I went from a paleo diet to a paleo autoimmune diet. And then after, after I got out of hospice and doing some more research, from, um, in January of 2020, actually January first, 2020, after I'd done some research, I switched to a very strict carnivore diet, no mm. plants whatsoever. And that's based on the case reports from the Paleomedicina Clinic mm -hmm. in Budapest, Hungary, where they have treated over, I don't know now, maybe 5,000, 6,000 patients in the last 12 years to that, that have serious chronic disease and cancer. And they're getting some beautiful results. Of course, not everyone, and they yeah. do case reports and I'm monitoring these case reports and everything is with a very strict animal-based diet with no prescription drugs at all and no supplements whatsoever. Wow. And that really, do you think that that was one of the things that just allowed? Well, this it's one, well, it's one, first of all, I don't have a cure for cancer. Right. Um, definitely do not have a cure for cancer. Um, but I think that that is one of my 10 unconventional protocols. Mm. And I believe that it, as well as the other aspects to these protocols, do, will do what it needs to do to support my immune system. All, everything, bottom line, is to make this immune system strong and not weaken it. So mm -hmm. anything that could weaken my immune system would be counterproductive if I'm trying to heal or at least survive with quality of life and still, unfortunately, have this cancer. Mm, gotcha. So I'm not cured and I'm not in remission. Gotcha. 
well, you look great and sound great. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> and I you. love reading your articles that you put out every week. You have he, Dr. Dannenberg has an amazing newsletter and articles that he publishes constantly. So I'll make sure I link that below for everybody. Um, but you have just found this heart to help people with this, these 10 things that you say in this protocol. Can you go through that a little bit for everybody who's listening? Sure. It, it actually is on my website and it's a, everything that's on my website is free. You can download it. It is my 10 unconventional cancer protocols, but let's go over some of the more um, critical and important ones, I believe. Certainly a diet is critical. When I say diet, I don't like the word because it's not a diet that you're going to go into for six weeks and then go back to your unhealthy eating style. So it's a lifestyle way of eating and it's basically animal-based. Today, it's not 100% animal-based. It was, but today it's basically 70%, at least 70% animal-based, nose to tail. And it's the animals that have the healthiest nutrients. Those are the ruminant animals. Those are the red meat animals. Basically in this country would be beef and lamb. And mm -hmm. beef and lamb that are grass-fed, grass-finished, pastured, humanely raised, these are the animals that have the healthiest nutrients. And if you were to look at why that's the case, all you have to do is take the time to understand and do some research about our species evolution over two and a half million years. There was a paper that was written in uh, March of 2021 that was a phenomenal archeological um, paper that showed clearly, and it was interdisciplinary, it showed clearly how human species were evolving, eating the majority of their nutrients from animals and a few maybe from plants. We are omnivores, but we lean toward being a carnivore. And the paper is excellent. So this paper, specifically identified some of the reasons why, and that is the, the physiology of our digestive system, the archeological um, remnants that were found when the skeletons, skeletons were uncovered, like this, the type of um, uh, um, uh, tools to kill animals. They did protein um, uh, analysis uh, of some of the um, areas I guess in the jaw where we were eating food and it turned out that the proteins were coming from animal-based, not um, plant-based um, sources and a variety of other things that they determined. Those clearly showed why animals nose to tail are critical for the human development. So why can we all of a sudden change that in the last four or 5,000 years? It doesn't work that way mm -hmm. because we have a genetic code. We, our genes do not um, evolve that quickly. And what was there 20,000 years and 10,000 years ago is pretty much what's here today from a genetic uh, evolutionary standpoint. So we can't all of a sudden say, we're not gonna eat animals because they're not healthy and we need to eat plants because they're healthy. And, and our body is going to accommodate. Well, genetically we can't. We can't 
make the enzymes that are necessary to um, destroy anti-nutrients that are in some plants. In other words, we need the animals. So that's a critical element to my unconventional cancer protocols. And in that part of eating has a lot to do with drinking healthy water with trace minerals. It has a, a lot to do with um, um, understanding how to cycle in and out of a fat burning mode to a carb burning mode, which is what our primal ancestors did during all of our evolutionary years. And these are critical elements to, to mimic that the, the, the digestive process that our primal ancestors who were relatively healthy um, displayed. So that's my major concern. The other major concern, almost hand in hand, is to have a very, very healthy and diverse gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. The research clearly shows that the microbiome is a critical element for health. If we do not have a, a, a um, well-diversified garden of bacteria and pathogenic um, types of bacteria overgrow, it will damage the gut, it will leak into the circulatory system um, called a leaky gut, creating systemic inflammatory issues that affect every organ system as well as the mouth and disease starts, including cancer. And it damages the mitochondria, which is our powerhouse, our batteries for every cell in our body with the exception of red blood cells. Mm. Those, are, those, those would be the two critical elements other elements um, we can discuss too, but those are two critical elements that I put together and help individuals when I do my 12 week virtual um, coaching program. So you're more in the camp now of metabolic flexibility, gut diversity. So you don't really think it's necessarily a good thing for someone to always be in ketosis or always in glucose, correct? Correct. Now, however, when you're saying that, I do have a number of clients that have some advancing cancer, and mm -hmm. I try to duplicate what is doing the uh, paleomedicine clinic is doing with their patients. And I would have them on a strict animal-based diet for a while, and then reintroduce certain elements like some fruits that are low in anti-nutrients, low in lectins or oxalates and phytates. Um, very, very few plants, but no nuts and seeds because they're very high in lectins and oxalates. And these are very damaging to the gut. But if you look at a plate of food, no matter who I'm talking to, at least 70%, the volume of that plate of food, 70% must be from uh, animal-based nose-to-tail nutrients. And that can include desiccated organs, which I take when I'm not eating organs. And then 30% or less from a very few uh, fruits, even less vegetables, and certainly no nuts and seeds. So in my way of eating today, I would tell you I am basically 85% animal-based and maybe 15% um, plant-based. And my main plants will be certain um, isolated fruits. Gotcha. So you're not big on vegetables then? No, because most vegetables do have a lot of lectins and oxalates mm. and they are, those are anti-nutrients damaging the gut microbiome 
as well as the gut lining. So no, I, I'm not. Gotcha. Do you and think- every nutrient that we need to get is in animal-based products, knows the tail. If a person said, I really need a, a powerful multivitamin, multi-mineral supplement, I would say, well, you don't want to buy those things that are synthetic. Mm-hmm. You want to get desiccated organs that have nothing removed, nothing added except the water. And there are desiccated organs products that I recommend my clients to get instead. Gotcha. That was where I was going to ask if, um, you know, where people get their nutrients from, are they relying on the fruits and things for the nutrients or is that just purely for metabolic flexibility? That's for metabolic flexibility and variety. Mm -hmm. The nutrients are getting, you're getting from nose to tail eating animal-based foods. For example, you will get healthy, bioavailable, slightly anatomically different vitamin C when you're eating the organs, especially liver and spleen and and a few of the other organs as compared to vitamin C from an orange. Vitamin C from an orange, different, but vitamin C from an orange is very heat unstable. Vitamin C from organs, which is slightly molecularly different, is very heat stable. And you can get almost every nutrient if you're eating that way. Now, if you're only eating muscle meat, you know, like you're eating a ribeye steak and you think steak and eggs are the way to go and that's all you eat, that's not a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. But the, the muscle meat proteins and the nutrients in the muscle meat need to be complemented with the nutrients from the organs, the nutrients from bone marrow, the nutrients from cartilage, blood and bone, all of this creates the the significant nutrient balance and ratios our body needs. Got it. And what do you think about people who say that eating organ meats um, can cause like hypervitaminosis and- and Well, they're wrong. Yeah. They're just wrong. (laughs) I always think it's a vitamin D deficiency because- you're going to get, if you don't, if you have very low vitamin D, in my opinion, then it's going to be hard for you to absorb that vitamin A because they're kind of like minerals, you know, they balance each other out, A, D, E, and K. So I think that if people have that happening, that they should get their vitamin D checked, but I'd love to know what you think about that. Most, most of the people, Paul Saladino did a um, um, podcast or a webinar, interviewed a couple of medical doctors about the subject, which was very, very good. And basically, If you are getting vitamin A, for example, retinol from liver and you're eating liver and all the animal and meat and everything, everything balances in a ratio that is healthy. If you take a supplement of retinol, Mm -hmm. that's going to give you a problem, just like zinc. Right now, most people think zinc is important. Zinc Mm -hmm. is important. So you zinc for COVID, zinc for cold, zinc for this, zinc for that, that. Zinc is critical. So all these supplements now have zinc. Now look at the zinc. It's all chemically made. It's all Mm man-made for the most part. But you get zinc in this supplement and that supplement. And these people are taking 10 supplements and you're getting a truckload of zinc, which is overdosing zinc. And no one is talking about copper. Right, which is throwing your copper off. Big time. I, I was critical. copper deficient when I did a hair tissue 
mineral analysis. And I never, I don't take zinc, but I was just copper deficient uh, because I wasn't really doing a good job of eating my organ meats. And so exactly since I added those back in uh, that my copper is great, as long as I make sure I get those organ meats in, but that's one thing. Yeah. If you're taking a bunch of zinc, you're throwing off your copper. Just like if you you're just adding nothing but salt, you could be throwing your potassium off like things. You don't just yeah. add one thing, you know? everything works in balance and ratios. Mm -hmm. So you want something that is bioavailable. You have to have a healthy gut that can absorb all this that needs to be bioavailable. But in addition, it has to be in its proper ratios with all the symbiotic other elements. For example, there are people that take fish oil capsules that think they need that so that they get healthy omega-3 fatty acids. Well, Let's say the fish oil capsules comes from wild caught salmon, everything is right. And the extraction of the omega-3s from the wild caught salmon gives you these fish oil capsules with lots of omega-3 fatty acids. Unfortunately, this is a very unstable fatty mm -hmm. acid. All the, uh, the um, fatty acids are unstable like this. And so this, these polyunsaturated unstable fatty acids are in this little capsule or, or or some kind of a, a form, and they break down over time. In addition, they have been processed. Something had to happen to pull out the omega-3s from the other synergistic elements in the, the, the wild salmon to put it in a fish oil capsule. And you're not getting the right ratios of what else balances it when you're taking a strict fish oil capsule. So studies have shown that some of these fish oil capsules are not only not beneficial, they're harmful. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to take a fish oil capsule. If you want to eat animal products, and I'm saying ruminant, that now we're talking about red meat animal products, you'll get all the omega-3s and all the other omegas in the polyunsaturated classes that you need in proper ratios if you're eating grass-fed, grass-finished beef or lamb and all the organs, you'll get all the omega-3s right there, as well as all the other numbered omegas. So the important thing is to be in balance with bioavailable ingredients that are symbiotically uh, attached to everything else that it needs to be um, made from so that your body knows exactly what to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, it it's does to me. It's important to get the, the original source and not extract something from the original source and saying, this is all you need, because yeah. that's not what you need. You need mm -hmm. everything in balance from the original source. Yeah, I think it's much better to get our nutrients from food than it is from any kind of a supplement, because it's like you said, it's not in balance. It's not accounting for how that works in the body at all. Correct. And now there are a couple of supplements that I might take like vitamin D3 because I can't be in the sun as much. I have some physical limitations. Um, vitamin K2, maybe I need, maybe not. Depends on how much uh, egg yolks I'm eating and, and other things. But the important thing right now is to take as much, like you said, with whole food than supplements, which is a rare thing for me. And I do want to mention that desiccated organs, although they're considered supplements, I don't consider them supplements. Yeah. I think supplements are man-made extracted elements 
that are in uh, processed form that you take in addition, um, hoping to improve a particular product or element. Organs, if you're getting it from the right sources, are nothing, like I mentioned, are nothing other than the raw organ with only water removed. All the nutrients are there, nothing is added, nothing is subtracted, and it is in a capsule that's made with bovine or cattle collagen. So, so um, you're getting all of the product of the whole food except the water. So it's just a, a dried food. That's all it is. Gotcha. And I wanted to ask you about healing the gut. Like I know a lot of people talk about healing the gut and how important that is for our immune system, but what does that process usually look like? Do you give people a GI map test or do you have a certain protocol that you follow for that? It's very interesting that um, the gut has been implicated in almost every chronic disease known to man. I would say every chronic disease, but I can't prove that. But it yeah. has been implicated. Um, dysfunction in the gut will create dysfunction in other organ systems and all chronic disease literally emanates from an unhealthy gut. So it's very difficult to say you have an unhealthy gut because some of the tests give um, um, uh, false negatives and false positives. There are mm -hmm. some things that in, are indicative of an unhealthy gut. For example, if you have any bleeding gum tissue, if you brush your floss uh -huh. anywhere in your mouth, anywhere, only between two teeth on the lower right side, for example, and every week, not every day, but every week you notice a little bleeding, you have gum disease and it will emanate from an unhealthy gut unless there's bad dentistry or a broken filling or something like that. But assuming that's not the case, that inflammation in the mouth is a direct result from gut dysbiosis, bad bacteria in the gut, mm. uh, overgrowth of bad bacteria in the gut, weakening the epithelial barrier, causing a leakage of toxic material into the bloodstream. The immune system reacts. So it's constantly fighting this uh, infiltration into the bloodstream 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you're weakening the immune system mm. that those toxic elements go through every part of your body, including the mouth. It changes the biology or, or the garden of bacteria in the mouth. The immune system is weakened. It cannot do the ideal thing that it needs to do and overgrowth of bad bacteria in the mouth cause inflammation and bleeding. So that is a sign from all the research I can gather, putting the dots together, that is a sign of a leaky gut. There are other symptoms that you may have, but most people that have a leaky gut don't have the typical symptoms of bloating and diarrhea or constipation. 80% go unnoticed because it goes mm -hmm. into other organ systems. There are some tests, zonulin tests that can be done. Those are beneficial. There are some um, other tests that can be done when you're looking at certain blood work relating the white blood count, the different elements of the white blood count and their ratios to see mm. if you have a good immune system, maybe it's affected by the gut bacteria, which I would say all is all the case. And then there was a study that was published in 2019 that was a very interesting study that used humans, not animals, not rats and 
mice, showing that 88% of the US population has metabolic dysfunction. 88%. I'm, I'm suggesting it's probably, that is probably an understatement mm -hmm. because, and to have metabolic dysfunction, you have to have something wrong with the gut, which is always linked to a metabolic diseases. So I would say if there are symptoms that I see, I would say that to that individual, we need to get that gut healthier. There are some tests that are very, very excellent to help understand the diversity of the gut bacteria. One is done by Microbiome Labs. They call it Biome FX. It's read by a lab that is called Cosmos ID. It's one of the only labs that does whole genome sequencing. So they really look at the entire bacteria species and they can determine how many different or diversified bacteria you have in your gut and compare it to a human uh, healthy ecosystem. And they'll place you in a percentile. And what you want, and that's called alpha diversity. What you want is the greatest alpha diversity that you can have. Uh, what I've done for my body and my gut, when I did that test, uh, I think it was June of last year, uh, my, my alpha diversity was in the 98th percentile. That's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. There are other tests that I work with my clients where we look at glycemic variability. How is the glucose being metabolized by insulin? How many swings up and down from an average do you have? And how great are those swings of, of glucose in the blood? And that way, you can identify a healthier or a less healthy person. There are studies that show if this glycemic variability, glucose variability has a high standard deviation, meaning it has lots of highs and lots of lows back and forth, you are more at risk to chronic disease and cancer and your immune system is more compromised. If that standard deviation is low, like less than 14, then you have a healthy uh, immune system and less risk for chronic disease. So we look at these things, certainly vitamin D3 levels um, in the blood, a test would be 25 hydroxy vitamin D to uh, determine if you have enough vitamin D3, which is the storage vitamin, 25 hydroxy vitamin D is the storage of vitamin D before it becomes active vitamin D. And that, that has a lot to do with the health of the gut and the health of the immune system. Got it. So lots of stuff. Yeah, definitely a lot of stuff. Do you think someone eating an animal-based diet without adding in fruits, because you said that the fruits are really for metabolic flexibility, but do you think if someone had, was just sticking to an animal-based diet with organs and marrow and all the things you mentioned that they're capable of having that diverse microbiome, or do you think they need to take probiotics or what's, what, what's your stance on that? According to all the research from Paleo Medicina Clinic, their patients are on this ketogenic diet and they do that for years and everything is fine. They monitor all their blood work on a regular basis. I think you can do that well, but I do believe this is not the normal way our primal ancestors have lived and it's not the normal way primal society. And there are only a few that are still very um, uh, true to a primal lifestyle in living today, yeah. um, they do not eat 
and stay in ketosis 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they are in and out of ketosis, probably in ketosis much more. They may not eat for several days. Certainly our primal ancestors didn't have food. They didn't have a local grocery store to go get their hamburger, right? right. McDonald's wasn't there yet. So they don't have the food every day. So they are fasting. Their bodies are producing ketones. They're using their fat stores. When they do have carbs, they go back into a carb burning mode. And then when they're not in a carb burning mode, they don't have cravings for potato chips or, or cake. They simply go back into a fat burning mode. And that's a normal in and out of ketosis type of lifestyle, diet lifestyle. And that would be called metabolic flexibility. And there are many studies that have been published that shows if you are metabolically flexible, you have much less risk of chronic disease. And this goes hand in hand with everything that I've suggested as to a healthy um, glyco uh, glucose variability and, and a diversified gut microbiome. All of this is all part of supporting a very healthy um, immune system and the way to go from this point on. It's, it's the only method for your body to fight illness and infection, and that is a robust immune system. Mm. So you definitely think that ability to do jump from ketosis back to glucose to ketosis is part of that robust immune system function, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do that on a regular basis. I monitor it. There are, I have a breath meter that monitors my ketone levels. I monitor it um, so that I know where I am, but you can almost feel when you're in ketosis. You can feel it. I, yeah. 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 I just, this year have been bouncing and trying that out and I actually really like it. Um, I haven't been doing it as much during the winter, but during the summer I did one, one day a week, you know, have, uh, carbohydrates and then go back to ketosis. And I was easily back in the next day. Um, no issue. Like it, my, I was surprised at how good my body was at just kind of going back and forth. Um, and it, it was, it was not hard at all. When you're in, when you are metabolically flexible and you are doing what you just said, there are no cravings per se. It's not like you feel like you have to fill your face with all these carbohydrates and all of a sudden you have to fill your face with more carbohydrates when they start to break down in, in the body because you're not addicted to the carbs anymore. So yeah. it is easy to move back and forth from a carb burner to a fat burner without the cravings because you've gotten over that hump. But that's a hump that everybody has to go through. Definitely. Every, at least in, in the United States, eating the way we do, everybody's going to have to go through that little hump until they get used to and are be, have become metabolically flexible. Sometimes I, it takes three weeks. Sometimes it could take three months. It's not uh, hard and fast for everybody to get into to a metabolically flexible state in a certain time period. I agree. It is, there's a lot of variability there. And, you know, just on that token, I think that if people are going to do the car, the refeeding that you should stay with like fruits, whole, you know, whole foods, because 
I have seen people that try to do a refeed and they add in processed foods and then that's when they do get the cravings. And then one day of a refeed turns into several days of, sure. you know, let's go off the rails because those foods are engineered in a lab for us to overeat. I mean, that's, that's how they were designed. <laughs> they know these people that know what putting out these processed foods, know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They know how to make a buck or two. And of course, their concern is to feed the population that will pay for it. Yep. They're not interested in providing nutrition for the human body. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's frustrating when there's so many, I guess, dietitians and uh, nutritionists and people on Instagram and online that have this whole thing of all foods fit, you know, there's no bad foods and no food should be off the table. You should be able to fit everything in. And I'm like, if it's processed, the people are going to overeat it. And, and your whole, like all foods fit thing is just not on the table. If you're eating a whole foods diet, maybe. Um, but if you're adding in processed foods, you literally, you can't, you can't tell people that they're not going to have cravings and they're going to be okay. You know, let me tell you a funny story. So I go to my cancer clinic every four weeks. That's a well-respected cancer clinic where I live. My oncologist is awesome. I've, this is the one I started with. I've been seeing him on a regular basis. He's conventional, but he really understands what I'm trying to do and wants more information as I unearth it. So when I do my immunotherapy, this immunotherapy to help my immune system kill malignant plasma cells once a month, I have to go into part of the clinic is called the infusion clinic. So this medication that I take is just a, an injection sub-Q, meaning subcutaneous in, in the, uh, and basically the fat of the belly area. And so that area, the infusion clinic is also where cancer patients have ports or openings in a major vein in, in their neck where they get their chemotherapeutic drugs or in the in the cancer clinic for two or three hours at a time. And they have a different frequency. Every cancer drug uh, has its own frequency with a patient. But the nurses in the cancer clinic offer chocolate chip cookies and Coke mm -hmm. to these people. And when I was uh. diagnosed with cancer, I had to go through a um, mandatory dietitian uh, interview. So the dietitian interviewed me and explained what I needed to do. You know, like I'm ignorant and that's fine. You know, I'm the ignorant one. She's going to tell me what I need to do with my cancer therapy. She had no idea if I was doing chemo or whatever, but I was a cancer patient in the cancer clinic. So I had this interview with her and somewhere along the way, I said to her, well, what foods can I eat? And she said, anything you want as long as you feel full the only important thing is you don't lose weight well cancer patients when they're not aware of what they need to do tend to lose a lot of muscle mass because yeah. they're just not eating right but this woman said i can eat anything i want so she, i said to her you mean if i want to have some cake or pizza or whatever i can eat anything and she said yeah, as long, as long as you don't starve or lose weight, hmm. anything you eat is okay. What a crock. This is not the way, this is the cancer clinic now. Mm -hmm. How can you talk to patients that are living with a, a, a life 
life-threatening disease. Some of these patients obviously are terminal. I have an incurable cancer. Why would I put things in my body to make to hasten yeah. the destruction in my body? Because certainly glucose feeds cancer cells. Dr. Thomas Seafried has written a numerous amount of material that shows cancer is not a disease of genetics. It is a disease of metabolic mitochondrial dysfunction. If yeah. you and and if you change the 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 diet and the health of the mitochondria, you can at least protect yourself or heal as best as possible. Of course, he's trying to cure cancer, and he has methods to do this. But it certainly are not the methods to treat the gene in a cancerous cell. It's the method to treat what's called epigenetics, everything that makes the gene either pathologic or not, upregulate mm. or downregulate the gene. And that is a critical element. So you wouldn't put food or what you think might be food in a body that doesn't, that doesn't want to have cancer cells grow and metastasize. So right. chocolate cookies and Coke are not the answer here. Terrible, terrible. I mean, and and it's like that. I think it's everywhere. Yeah, it is. That's what I was going to say. It's everywhere. I mean, a friend of mine um, going through infertility at the infertility clinic, there's like chocolates and cookies out in the waiting room and like the whole infertility like sign is a pineapple, you know, and I'm like, what the hell is that all about? It's that's not going to help you get pregnant eating pineapples. No, that's, (laughs) that's a really bad idea. Um, it's insane. Another funny story has nothing to do with this, but in a similar fashion, I know many dentists around Halloween time (laughs) in their dental office for the kids, they probably adults too. They have grab bags of candy of candy in a dentist office now that's overboard uh, that's where that's the last place you would expect to see candy um, but amazing right yeah amazing where is the thought process of what causes what disease i right. don't get it but it know. is prevalent it is everywhere yeah it is and yeah <laughs> i guess speaking of dental care because i did want to talk about that a little sure. bit Um, That's a question that a lot of people have once they start getting into a more primal lifestyle. Um, I think, you know, they kind of instinctively know like the Colgate toothpaste and the, you know, the mouthwashes and the, you know, dental floss that has a bunch of stuff on it that that's not necessarily good. But what are your recommendations? Because the last time we talked, I remember I was brushing with a charcoal toothpaste and you're like, don't do that. It's not good. So I quit doing that. But what, what, what's your gold standard for, for uh, caring for the mouth? If you're going to do something on a daily basis, which you should be doing with cleaning your mouth, you do not need toothpaste whatsoever mm-hmm. to clean your mouth. You can't, you don't need toothpaste to remove de- unhealthy dental plaque, but you need to understand that dental plaque is healthy mm-hmm. until it's not. And that's a concept let me get back to in a moment. Yeah. The problem is you go to a dental office and the hygienist says, or they give you tubes that have stannous fluoride in it mm-hmm. or antimicrobials or bentonite clay and activated charcoal and all these things, xylitol, 
all these things damage a healthy biofilm called dental plaque. So let's talk about dental plaque for a moment. Can I do that before yeah, I go into absolutely. that? Absolutely. So if you think about the body, and it, if I were to ask you a question that you need to have some thought here, where in the body can you find a hard structure piercing the skin of the body and embedding itself into sterile tissue? Where in the body does that exist? Now, I don't know where that might exist other than the mouth. Mm -hmm. In the mouth, you have a tooth made up of some hard structure piercing the gum skin, embedding itself into sterile bone. So you have this wick-like structure, the tooth stabbing into the gum tissue, which is the epithelial gum tissue, literally anchoring itself into the bone, which is always sterile for the most part. If there was nothing to protect that, that, that element that's sticking the tooth, sticking in the bone, the bacteria in your mouth, and there are maybe 700 species of bacteria in the mouth, which are normal, th that bacteria could slide down this wet, slippery surface of the tooth like a sliding board, go right into the sterile bone, and the bacteria would have a field day, and the bone would necrose or die, and our species would cease to exist. You and I wouldn't be here. We would have no teeth, and we didn't have teeth. We couldn't chew food, and we wouldn't have nutrients. Our body would wither and die. That doesn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Well, there are elements under the gum that attach the root of the tooth to the bone that are within the bone and the ligament and everything else that's going on that have active immune cells to kill bacteria. Okay, but that's not what I'm talking about. There is a superficial process that also helps to kill bacteria and it's called a healthy biofilm, which is dental plaque. So dental plaque is this film between the gum and the tooth that's sticky and stays there, relatively invisible, and it's made up of two or 300 different species of bacteria. If you were to identify each species, some would be potentially highly pathogenic. If they were to overgrow, you would have lots of infection. But in their balanced state, they provide good things and bad things all in com combination for a healthy biofilm. So this healthy biofilm that will do three very specific things at least to protect the space between the gum and the tooth from bacteria getting under it. Number one, they make hydrogen peroxide. The natural biological production of hydrogen peroxide by these bacteria literally kills other pathogenic strains of bacteria in the mouth and the saliva that wanna get through. So mm -hmm. it literally kills bad bacteria from getting under the gum and the tooth. It also has buffers, chemical buffers, to keep the acid level to a certain level uh, state of a pH of 5.5. Anything that's above 5.5 will not cause tooth decay. If it goes below 5.5, meaning more acidic for a longer period of time, you could have tooth decay. So these buffers protect the tooth from tooth decay. The dental plaque, healthy dental plaque doesn't cause tooth decay. It protects the tooth from tooth decay. And the third thing is it's like a very important gatekeeper allowing minerals from the saliva that pours into your mouth 24 hours a day, seven days a week to get through this biofilm into the root surface if it needs to harden the root 
where there may be demineralization, demineralization and a demineralized tooth is basically tooth decay. So it helps repair if certain elements cause early tooth decay, it can reverse that. So the dental plaque, when it's healthy, is critical. So why would you use products to destroy this very, very superficial but critical barrier? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, when you, so when you brush <laughs> your teeth and you brush it correctly, you'll not remove the, the underlying element of the dental plaque that is important, but you may remove excess dental plaque if you have unhealthy dental plaque because of the unhealthy gut microbiome or a bad diet you'll be removing it properly. So you brush properly, you don't need toothpaste. If you want toothpaste, you can use some salt water, that's fine. If you want toothpaste, I have, um, I use a toothpaste called Revitin, R-E-V-I-T-I-N. You can get it on Amazon, you can get it on their website, revitin.com. It is a very gentle, biologically um, balanced toothpaste that will not harm the dental plaque. It has nothing in it to kill the dental plaque to make it unhealthy anymore, but it helps to foam and taste good if you wanna do that. So I would only use a gentle toothpaste like Revitin if you wanna use a toothpaste. You need to brush at the gum line. You need to floss between the teeth. You need to use little cleaners, almost like toothpicks, but they have- I have the um, little picks that you can- Yeah, the yep. silicone. So yep. that's the best way. Uh, TP, the company T-E-P-E -E, makes okay. what's called T-P-E-Z picks, and they are ideal to clean between the tooth and the gum, the gum margin, and it removes all the unhealthy dental plaque. And then you want to clean your tongue because the backside of the, uh, of the top of your tongue harbors many, many bacteria that are critical to be there. But when they overgrow, there are food particles that are decaying in that area, uh, bad bacteria that are overgrowing, 80% of bad breath comes from that surface. Mm, so if you okay. want to clean it, the best and easiest way to clean the tongue is to take maybe a teaspoon, invert it, go back on the top of the tongue as far back as you can go before you gag, and then press the spoon, inverted spoon, pull the spoon forward on your tongue, and this milky liquid mm -hmm. will accumulate in the bowl of the spoon. You can throw it out, of course. If you wanna get geeky and a little bit weird, you can take this milky fluid, put it on the top of your hand, like here, let it dry and take a whiff. And that's what your bad breath smells like. Ooh. Not so pleasant, but at least it'll teach you what you're doing for yourself. Now, so is that clean... similar to like a tongue scraper? Cause I have yeah. one of those too. Yeah, yeah. So you can buy a tongue scraper. Yeah. You know, you can go out and buy a tongue scraper or you can use an use inverted teaspoon, which is okay. as perfect as a tongue scraper, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I feel yeah. good. I feel like I'm doing everything right. <laughs> so no mouthwash. I, I No, the whole purpose of a mouthwash theoretically is to kill back, disinfect back, it. Uh, bacteria. And you don't want to kill bacteria. It's no. good, right? <laughs> right. Now, yeah. if you have an infection, let's let's be clear about this. If you have an infection and you need something to kill bacteria, obviously we need to do that for a short period of time, like a week to 10 days. When I was in practice, certainly I wrote prescriptions for systemic antibiotics if we needed it, but you mm -hmm. need to be aware of the collateral damage. You're going to kill a lot of good bacteria and you have to be prepared right away to help rebuild that bacteria to a healthier state. If you take a systemic antibiotic like penicillin, amoxil, amoxil or amoxicillin, 
um, you could damage this gut bacteria for months. Mm. So you need to, even a 10 day round will destroy the gut microbiome for months. You need to reestablish that healthy gut microbiome. It takes a longer time mm -hmm. to reestablish the healthy gut bacteria than to destroy it with an antibiotic. And antimicrobial mouthwashes are like antibiotics. You're just mm -hmm. killing things and you don't want to kill on a regular basis. So daily mouthwashes are not good, but if you have an infection and you needed some type of mouthwash to kill bacteria for a week to 10 days, I don't have a problem with that as long as you understand how to repopulate the bacteria. And that would be probiotics? Well, you have to be aware of the gut microbiome. So you have mm. to instill a healthy gut microbiome. Probiotics are good, but you have to not only make new diverse bacteria in the gut, but you also have to heal the gut lining, which mm. is called a leaky gut where there's holes. And the way to do that, the probiotics help, but right. also there are methods to, to bind toxic elements in the gut that are leaking into the bloodstream to mm -hmm. allow the epithelial barrier to heal. One of the things that I use on a regular basis now is colostrum. Okay. And it has phenomenal research in the way it heals the gut. Now, there are a lot of colostrums out there. You got to be yeah. careful. You have yeah. to be a whole colostrum that does not have, that has everything except the water removed. And the colostrum must be um, collected from the, the mom, the, uh, um, the cows, uh, after the calves have used the colostrum. So six hours or so um, within calving, that colostrum is very, very concentrated. The calves drink the colostrum within an hour or two, whatever they need. And then the next several hours, that colostrum could be collected and Pro, uh, pro, not really processed, but it is processed so that the water is evaporated in a very gentle way, but nothing is added and nothing is subtracted. Some of the products make their colostrum after two days. Well, two days of colostrum is not colostrum anymore. It's a mm -hmm. little bit of colostrum and a lot of milk. You'll get pure thick colostrum for the first six hours or so. And thereafter, the mom is producing milk that dilutes the colostrum and has none of the kind of benefits that the colostrum has. Great. So do you like, uh, I think Dr. Saladino has a colostrum, does he not? Or yeah, his colostrum like is one? great. Well, yeah, but I think you need more than that. So okay. his colostrum would be um, six capsules a day. Mm -hmm. That would equal, I think, three grams of colostrum, I think. I think that that is insufficient if we're trying to do what I do. So I, okay. what I do, I eat colostrum a lot because there's indication that it may even help with healing cancer. I don't want to go into that, but I do that. So I eat, hold, hold on to your, hold on to your head here. <laughs> I eat six tablespoons of colostrum a day. Wow. And what okay. I do, and I tested this, I did a 72 hour colostrum fast. Okay. I didn't eat anything except six tablespoons of colostrum, two wow. tablespoons, three times a day, um, okay. three tablespoons, two times a day. And I measured my ketones. So I started off on a carb burning day. So I, my ketones were literally non-existent and I only ate the colostrum and only drank water uh, that was replete with trace minerals, Himalayan salt water. Um, 
And I could see my ketone levels rise to a very high level of dietary ketosis for the entire uh, 72 hours. Once it rose to that point, it stayed there for the next um, two and a half days. So I know that the colostrum isn't interfering with my ketosis mm. and the healing benefits of colostrum are amazing. Several papers in the last two or three years have been written about bovine colostrum and healing the gut and he helping with athletes to uh, replenish their um, uh, nutrients and muscle repair. Even it's being used and studied, studied uh, with longevity research and okay. stem cells. There are some wonderful reports and, and peer-reviewed studies that are published in medical journals about the benefits of bovine colostrum. Excellent. Well, that's very interesting. I know there are a lot of different doctors that prescribe it in the capsule form, but you're saying to get like real colostrum, right? Well, I, I do get the powder, um, yeah. but it's not in capsules. And I, when you order it in bulk, it's not terribly as expensive as it would if you were only to buy capsules. But there's another thing about colostrum, and that is it gets absorbed in the, through the mucous membrane in the mouth. So, also, so I want to eat the colostrum. I take the colostrum. It, it's very fatty, so it doesn't mix in water really well. So I mix it as a little paste and then it, it, I make it a little more watery, but I like to eat it as a custard type consistency. Okay. And when I eat it, it gets in my mouth, it gets under my tongue, it gets around my teeth. There are studies that show that it can absorb, gets absorbed through the mucosal tissue, gets a, directly into the bloodstream in that process. And when you swallow it, of course, it gets into the gut, does what it needs to do. But there's also anecdotal information that the colostrum improves the health of the bacteria in the mouth. So I'm getting a lot of benefits by eating it rather than taking it in a capsule that avoids the mouth and the mucous membranes and it only goes to the gut. So I want to eat the colostrum, not take it in a capsule. I don't want to make eat enough to make a difference in the research suggests that you need to have maybe, maybe one tablespoon, two to three times a day to have the most benefits. And I do eat more than that. Yeah. You do six. <laughs> wow. Six tablespoons a day. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, if it helps, that's, that's huge. Cause I think the gut is such a huge problem. That's probably the biggest thing that people reach out to me and say, I have a leaky gut. I have histamine problems. I have skin problems. I have this, this, and this, and what do I do? And that's, uh, that's one resource now that I'll definitely be. Able and you to... know, when, when, when the things that you just mentioned are the typical manifestations of a leaky gut. So if you have mm -hmm. skin issues, you have sinus issues, you have eye issues, you have a variety of um, problems like rheumatoid arthritis, you have maybe multiple sclerosis, you have Parkinson's disease. These are all related lesions in the mouth. Mm. all related to a leaky gut without necessarily having diarrhea or constipation yeah. or bloating of your gut. 20% will have those symptoms in the gut. 80% will not. And they manifest outside of the gut into areas that you wouldn't relate to a problem in the gut. People that have allergies, definitely, um, I would say 90 plus percent have a leaky gut that's contributing to it. Just to heal the gut isn't going to take care of the problem completely. 
the gut can heal itself. And if you do everything right and not irritate the gut at all, that's, that's e easy to say, not always easy to do. But if you do that, the gut cells have, are the most reparative cells in the body. They replenish themselves. They replace themselves every five to seven days. Mm. If you did everything wrong today and you did everything right tomorrow in another week, you'd have another gut healed gut lining. Mm. The problem is you may have other antibodies that are circulating in your blood because of the problems you already had had. And Got it takes it. time for them to break down. There was a study that talked about that sometimes, even if you have the healed gut, if you've had so many problems with antibodies that have been created by a weakened immune system, compromised immune system and damaged other organ systems, even now that you have no leaky gut, it may not heal the organ system anymore. So there is a point of no return. So the sooner, the better. You always can improve the situation, but you may not get total repair. Got it. So someone who's in that situation, which I hope not a lot of people that are listening are, would you recommend that they would do a lot of colostrum, stay on a, a animal-based diet? Like what and do you expect that they would see some improvements just to, to Absolutely. feel better? I, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a perfect example. This is yeah. what I do. This yeah. is exactly what I do. And the rest of my unconventional cancer protocols, like I said, it's available that anybody looks at it and it's very detailed and everything I do links to where I get what I get. But, and I even give you the, the, you know, the doses and what I take, but everybody can improve their immune system no matter what state of health they are in. The sad thing is I can't cure disease and there is a point where I may not be able to extend, I can't extend life, but I do know that we can improve the immune system as best as it can at that moment. And that is beneficial and you'll feel better too. Definitely. You definitely will feel better. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I feel like this has been such a, like an hour just flew by. Um, oh it's been such, it really did. It's been such a great conversation and so many nuggets of wisdom in here. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work, what you do, or even get some coaching from you? Of course. So my website is drdannenberg.com. That would be spelled D-R-D-A-N-E-N-B as in boy, E-R-G.com. Uh, there's a navigation bar. It talks about my coaching programs. I do a 12-week virtual balanced metabolic coaching program, which is what um, I love to do. And individual hour and a half coaching if or, or consults if necessary. Lots and lots of blogs. Everything is downloadable. You can download anything and everything you want from my website. It's, it's completely free. And um, if there is a question that you have, if you go to the contact, Form on the um, navigation bar, you can write me. It, the email comes directly to me. I answer all my emails and um, maybe within 24 hours. And I will help you with whatever question you have. I also offer a 30 uh, minute free consultation with me, Zoom, just like you and I are talking with for 30 minutes just to see if I can help you and if we're a good fit together. That's awesome. That's really kind. Well, thank you so much. And I'll make sure I link all of that in the information section below this podcast. Well, thank you. This has been yeah. fun. Yeah, it has for me too. Thank you. 
All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Dannenberg. I always re-listen to these episodes right before I put them out. And I got to tell you, I really enjoyed re-listening to this one. I might even listen to it again because I just picked up on so many things that second time around that I missed even having the conversation with Dr. Dannenberg. There's so much information in this episode that I feel needs to go out, reach the masses so that we can continue to all heal together, empower each other with this knowledge of how we can heal our bodies together. And so I really do appreciate you for listening to this episode, maybe sharing it with friends, family members, taking a screenshot, sharing it on social media, and then always leaving that review over on Apple or Spotify. That really does help to keep pushing this show out to more and more people. We are a small show, but it has been growing over the last year. So I appreciate each and every one of you who has been listening. I also appreciate my two sponsors. Again, just to quickly review, Optimal Carnivore, my code over there, carnivore uppercase Y. Again, if you are looking for a great desiccated organ supplement, which Dr. Dannenberg and I talk about extensively in this episode, that is a great place to start. And my code carnivore uppercase Y saves you 10%. Link will be down in the show notes for you guys. And then again, upgraded formulas. As we spoke about in this episode, a lot of people have mineral imbalances from taking these synthetic supplements. We can also get mineral imbalances from not eating organ meats, from not eating seafood, from all of the things that are important for our overall health. So the best way to test to see where you are mineral-wise is going to be a hair tissue mineral analysis with upgraded formulas. My code over there is YOGI12, or if you've used that one before, you can use the code YOGI to save on anything over on their website. As I mentioned in the intro, I always do recommend getting a consultation with that hair tissue mineral analysis because they can be a little bit difficult to read and people who read them have gone through extensive training. So make sure you check out all those links down in the show notes. I appreciate you so much for listening to today's episode, especially if you've gotten this far. Thank you. (laughs) And I hope you have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. I look forward to talking with you again next week.